it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. Or this week, light beer, as we catch up with Stone and Wood's head brewer, Keelan Vaughan, all thanks to our good friends at Cryer Malt. This week, Stone and Wood launched a new beer under its main brand, the first time it's done that since Cloudcatcher back in 2014. What makes the new beer East Point different is it is a 2.7% alcohol beer, so it's very much playing into that low alcohol space. When it comes to beer news, Brews News tends to take the view that the first of anything is news, the next few will often cover because they show a trend, and so they're worth reporting on. But the tenth, well, that's not really news, it's more of an ad. While there have been a flood of low-alcohol beers lately, we thought that this one was worth a deeper look, and we're not wrong. As arguably the largest independent brewery, Stone and Wood embracing any trend signals something about the state of the industry that we think is worth a second look. And that is no different as they embrace the lower alcohol market. But the way that they have done it is also well worth looking into. While ultra-low alcohol has been the target for many, down around the 0.5% alcohol, Stone and Wood have embraced low alcohol with a beer style that, like Stone and Wood before it, nods at other styles, but seeks to stand out a little bit from them. It's inspired by European styles such as Goza, with a very light souring, a touch of salt, and even some orange peel, but you won't read any of that in the media release, because, as you'll hear from Keelan, the beer was designed for flavour and not so much to fit into any of those craft beer styles. Apart from the chat about the new beer, we haven't had Keelan on the show before, so we learn a little bit about where he came from and how he came to brew, and we also ask him a little bit about the beer market and where we're at. As always, it's a great chat, and I'm sure you'll be as interested in it as I was. Well, Keelan Vaughan, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thank you, Matt. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here, Matt. All right, it's, it's great to have you on just realized that I was, as I was planning for this that you know we, we've spoken a lot um, to you know the various founders of uh, Stone and Wood we've spoken to the the, the new uh, sort of management we've never had you on the podcast so uh, we've been very remiss in uh, not introducing you before yeah mate it's uh, very nice to finally get here We're, I've all I must admit it is nice to be doing it uh, when we do a catch up in person and actually sharing a beer it's always uh it's always nicer, but uh, hey, over the <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, yeah, in, in lockdown, and unfortunately for the last six months, we haven't been able to do too many uh, live chats. But, uh, you know, just uh, for, for those of you, you know, I, I guess one of the things I've admired about Stone and Wood is as, you know, the, the, the business has grown and matured, the three founders um, who are very much, uh, you know, sort of figureheads of the business, but they've stepped away and let, um, you know, guys like yourself as the the, the head brewer um, come forward a little bit. And so you do have a bit of a presence, but, you know, for, for our audience, maybe just sort of step back and tell us a little bit about your career in brewing. So I guess, look, I started like many people, fell in love with beer. Um, I think it was my, around my 16th birthday, I was over in the UK and got taken to British pub for my uh, my birthday and ended up having a couple of beers um, celebrating my birthday and just was like <laughs> fell in love with it. You know, as a young young boy, you kind of do fall in love with beer and the excitement around uh, being able to have a beer uh, when you're of legal age, all those sorts of things. And uh, that sort of, I think, really helped inspire the sort of the culture, the traditions around beer. Um, and from then, I actually started making homebrew when I went back home at a you know young age, uh, with the support of my mum and dad, very supportive uh, on those sorts of things. So yeah, sort of started around that. Um, then so did a bit of homebrewing during high school and things like that. And then from straight out of high school, I went and studied. Um, at Ballarat University, which is now a Federation University. So, what year was this? Just, just to you know, oh, not, not trying to age you or anything like that, yeah, but just trying yeah, to no, date no. you know, roughly um, when. I think I started. 
it was either 2003 or 2004. I'm trying to think the starting year is one of those. I, I let's just say 2004. So started studying 2004, graduated in so 2004, five and six. So yes, graduated at the end of 2006. So um, we had breweries like Little Creatures was obviously established. Yeah, Mountain Goat was about yeah, Mountain um, Goat. And I was a Melbourneian originally, so Mountain Goat was uh, very on my radar. And during my years at uni, did the odd shift here and there just to help out those guys and just to help them out during summer and things like that. But also just those guys were also very inspirational to me in those early years, just, you know, seeing someone actually doing what I was uh, sort of had longed long to do. So, yeah, and, they, you know, Dave and Cam back in the day, they were... Um, incredibly welcoming they're you know legends of the industry yeah so yeah there wasn't a lot of breweries there's maybe holgate geez i can't even remember there wasn't a lot of breweries around back then though so right. yeah. so, so what was it as a 16 year old you know speaking from my own experience uh a bit older than you you know like i was drinking legally from the late 80s when powers was a new brewery um you know yep. that, that launched then but they were still making the same beer that was being made before um, and they were just going head to head with Forex, for example, and yep. you know Matilda Bay went national with um, Redback, which was the first craft beer I distinctly remember trying, and it was so different that you know that's where I started thinking, you know, what is it about this beer that makes it different? And that's sort of where my journey started. But as a sixteen-year-old trying beer, you didn't really have that sort of no, you know, no. So not, but but I guess you you kind of grow up, you know dad would have a couple of beers or party you know you'd always you'd taste beer not that like my not that i was ever hidden from beer or or exposed to beer or alcohol in any great form at a young age but you sort of tasted what beer was and you know those early days of beer in australia or for me late 80s early 2000s there wasn't a lot of options and so when you go to the uk and you taste like uh cast beer real ale um it was like what <laughs> this is beer <laughs> this this doesn't taste like what you uh had come to sort of you know not know in detail but um you know incredibly depth of flavor and uh and complexity so yeah and just the culture pub culture like uh there's nothing quite as good as the like a, a british boozer like, uh, <laughs> Uh, you go in, have a couple of beers, read the newspaper, eat some pork scratchings, and um, uh, and have a chat to someone because everyone's so yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, um, so yeah, that, that I guess that's kind of uh, was an inspiring. But then yeah, the guys at Goat doing the similar sort of thing. I was going to say Hightail, that was what Goat was like. Was yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Hightail Owl, the Friday nights. So it used to be a monthly Friday night when they were at their old location. Um, it was like the first Friday, the last Friday of the month. They used to have Pete Wood fired pizzas, and you'd go in and it'll be rammed, and you're drinking this hightail out, and it's like nothing you've ever tasted before. Yeah, pretty, pretty special. So, what did your like? What, what did your parents do, and what sort of background did you have? Like, were you were you brought up in a science area where it was the yeah yeah? So my my old man, uh, my mum was basically a a full time parent. Um, she had five children, so she was very busy. Um, and my old man was in, he was actually a chemical engineer, uh, trained as a chemical engineer, went into politics for a little while, and then uh, after life of politics, went into work at the, uh, the CRC, the Commonwealth Research, Research Centre, I believe it was called, uh, within water and water quality um, around Australia. Uh, yeah, so I guess... Uh, water being a pretty integral part, um, yeah. That and that being a very uh, yeah scientific mind. And and so did you like? Were you a science student at at school? Oh, look, not overly. I I enjoyed science. I actually really enjoyed physics more so than um, chemistry and, and microbiology and sort of you know the, uh, biology and things like that. Um, and that was quite, I just liked knowing how things worked. Uh, um, was I great at it? I was okay. <laughs> I wasn't, <laughs> um, but I just enjoyed it. Um, and then it wasn't until, you know, the sort of 
starting to learn about beer and the science of beer that I was like, yeah, this is pretty, this is pretty epic. You know, a lot of people like, yeah, learning is a, is epic and it's a, it's amazing to be, have the ability and uh, to be able to learn. But when you're learning about something that you're actually passionate about um, and, you know, I, anyone that talks to me about beer, I can talk to them for until the cows come home, but I always feel like I don't want to be imposing beer on people, <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> People are very keen to talk about it. So well, that's I, I spend most of my time yeah, it, it, sort of with civilians, we'll call them, you know, people that yeah. aren't in, in the industry, sort of trying to not talk about beer because yes. I'm so interested in it and I don't want to become boring about it. But it, it, it's something that people are just interested about. Yeah, yeah, they are. Because oh, most people just think, oh, you buy beer from a pub or a bottle shop. No idea of what uh, what is um, what goes into it, and actually learning like making beer was actually one of the oldest tools of thought. Like they were learning how to make beer, I think, long before medicine and things like that. Because obviously, uh, learning how to refine and make beer was more important than keeping people alive back in those days. But <laughs> also, had, <laughs> but it also had the added benefit of not killing anyone. When they <laughs> yeah. Beer, so, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so you left school and. Uh, I, I, you sort of when you were, you went straight into study. Yeah, so straight into study uh, at Ballarat with Peter Aldred there, and three epic years of uh, of learning, and then after that, I sort of finished uni. I spent a very short time at Red Hill Brewery, uh, a few months, I think it was, um, down on the Mornington Peninsula, and that was short lived. In in the in say, I, I got offered a job at Little Creatures, which was definitely one of the um, you know, I held them in the highest regard and I still have a, a lot of love for them. And so when I was little creatures and that's definitely where I got to really apply my theoretical knowledge and small amount of hands-on knowledge um, and then take it to that next level and really learn sort of production brewing. Um, and that was, yeah, an epic opportunity. Um, so I spent about three years at Creatures them wishing to broaden my horizons a little bit, um, travel, but still make beer. I um, decided to move to the UK, continued working in the brewery industry, got a job at a brewery called Thornbridge, spent a number of years there uh, learning British brewing and very much uh, the, you know, epitome of like what craft beer is at the time. And they were definitely at the forefront of um beer and beer innovation in the UK. So that was a pretty amazing time to be there. Then again, wishing to extend my wings and learn a little bit more and challenge myself. Um, went to move from the UK to Canada um, to actually go and work and set up a, a new brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a small little brew pub called Steamworks in Vancouver, BC, Canada. And um, from there uh, was basically... We want to build a production brewery. Go. <laughs> um, so that's basically what we did there and built a big production facility, uh, got it up and running and was, yeah, toying, you know, had spent probably nearly six years overseas and my partner and I were, oh, what should we do? She kind of missed family. Oh, maybe we'll move back to Australia and then basically so moved back to Australia after our time overseas and in Canada and the UK and then, Moved back to Australia with the intention of, yeah, maybe we'll start a family um, without a job, just going, oh, you know, it's been a pretty hectic. I travel, I didn't travel as much as I wanted when I was working overseas, probably worked a lot more. So I was like, oh, I just relaxed for a little while and came back and caught up with, I think, Brad and Jamie around Good Beer Week and AOVAs. And was like, and they're like, you should come up to Byron. I'm like, sure, that's great. I did to Byron. <laughs> I think we came up and we're like, yeah, let's move to Byron and come join the team up at Santa Wood. So that's kind of a, a bit of a snapshot of who, where I've been and what I've done over the last oh, 16, set going 17 years, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, we, we often joke about beer years are like dog years where yes. you know every year is almost like seven and there's been yeah, such a yeah. <laughs> dramatic change. You know, what, what are some of the biggest changes you've noticed since you, you know, started working for Little Creatures back in the day or even before you, you know, when you were still um, getting around in some of the smaller craft breweries? Yeah, wow. Well, just I guess the sheer number of, of breweries is definitely something that changed. 
Um, everyone thought I was crazy. Like, why are you studying beer? Like, brewing? What the hell is that? Like, it, you know, it's almost like, but now, so the amount of, um, you know, the culture around beer has changed so much. It's, um, you know, beer wasn't, I don't think it was held a, in a, as high regards as it is today. So it's definitely been a, a cultural shift towards, you know, premium high quality beers not that there wasn't premium high quality beers in australia at the time but uh you know independent beer has definitely transformed so the sheer number the quality has has improved drastically i think the the amount of people uh investing in further education in the brewing industry has been you know paid dividends i guess the investment the technology has changed drastically uh, entry to market, the philosophies around breweries, uh, contract breweries, you know, there's, you know, the technology around canning, all these sort of things. So, yeah, it's just been a, it, it's an exciting industry because it's just been booming. So, I guess they're the sort of biggest changes over the, over those, you know, nearly, nearly two decades. Yeah. That sounds crazy. I still feel like I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed. <laughs> well, <laughs> Pete and I have just have a constant joke because you know you, you can't help but sound like Grandpa Simpson, you know, sort of yeah. getting around talking about back in my day, I used to have an onion on my belt, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. And but it, it has changed so quickly. But let's yeah. drill down yeah. into one of those areas, um, because which is primarily why we wanted to have a bit of a um, chat today. And yeah, one of the really rapidly. Um, you know, emerging trends um, in, in, in beer at the moment is low alcohol beer uh, or lower yep. alcohol beer. And uh, yesterday, um, Stone & Wood launched um, its new beer, East Point, um, which is described in the media release as a modern expression of the Australian low alcohol beer. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit about the beer, first of all, and then we'll dig into the uh, trend and the techniques. Yeah, so I guess the beer... Uh you know, for your good listeners, like the beer is actually, it's been one of the most challenging beers that we've ever tried to put to, like create. Um, you know, it's, you know, low alcohol just brings challenges, just having good balance. You know, the mainstream low alcohol beers in the market are very different to what this beer is. And we, we, we don't play in the uh, low alcohol uh, lager end of the spectrum. So, um, but what we do is we nail incredibly approachable, sessionable beers. So um, East Point is basically our, you know, we, we basically saw a gap in the market with low alcohol. There is also a lot of, you know, growing energy around the non-alcohol beer market. There's a lot more health conscious uh, peer, people looking for beers that suit their lifestyles, all those sorts of things. I happen to lucky enough be a parent and I've been able to have a couple of beers and still get up and be beats dad super dad every day all those sorts of things so but what is east point east point is um i guess in terms of a uh, sensory perspective got a really nice sort of zesty tang um it does go through an acidification process but is very subtle uh just to really enhance the really nice refreshing really nice level level and like salty balance Uh, it's definitely not salty but it has a nice little uh, balance around that, giving it a real nice impression of refreshment, a little bit of um, salty uh, sweetness to it almost, um, with a really nice sort of like citrus characteristics. We used to say that it goes through a bit of acidification. Does that mean that there's a little bit of, you know, like very mild souring taking place? Yeah, yeah. So we, there, do, there is a lact, uh, so it does have lactobacillus in it. It yep. does go through a um electrobacillus fermentation so but it is a very subtle so only because uh you know those we don't want to use the word sour because it we actually feel that it um scares people off a little bit yep. uh, and it's not a sour beer it is definitely just a nice refreshing um you know when you it's almost like when you put a you know, uh, a little bit of lime juice or lime or lemon mm. into a glass of water. It's just, ah, oh, that's just lovely. And that's no no means necessarily uh, tart. You know, it's got that just nice, subtle, tart refreshment, you know. It kind of, that, that zesty tang is definitely the way we, we're sort of describing the sort of flavour profile. You know, that's one of the things that when you look at, you know, again, sour beers 
have tended to go on the same sort of arms race that the IBU wars were 10 years ago. Yeah, who, where, who can make them more sour? Yeah, yeah exactly. Who, yeah. The, the most face-puckering sour that you can. But at the same time, yeah. some of the, for want of a better word, mainstream sours or some of the sort of more genuinely traditional sours were a little bit more balanced in their sourness, but then they were also lower alcohol. So it was one of those beers that was almost... Uh, the, the, the perfect low alcohol, you know, for, if you want oh, to have yeah. a session yeah, as a craft beer. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it suits our lifestyle up here. It suits the weather. Um, yeah, and there was definitely a gap in the market, you know, for a nice indie independent craft beer. Uh, and oh, mate, it's, I'm actually very, I'm very, very, very happy with the way these beers turned out, but it has been a, a challenge to try and get all those, you know, almost somewhat uncontrollable flavor aspects, you know, getting the acidification right and in balance, you know, getting a nice little hint of, um, you know, salt in there. It's really inspired by where we, you know, where, we, where we're from. East Point obviously being referring to the most easterly point in Australia, which is where um, what we have there in Byron Bay. Is it trademarked <laughs> or do we not? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll, look, I'm gonna say, <laughs> let's I, not yeah. mention the wall. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to say I don't actually know uh, off the top of my head, but probably I think we would have liked to have looked at that. Um, I don't think there's too many East Point beers out in the market, <laughs> so um, which is good. <laughs> now, when you say salt, have you added a little bit of salt to it, yeah, or is that just yeah, a just a little okay. bit? Yep, yeah, yeah. So. Um, there's a nice little, like calcium chloride is also, you know, known as a, um, uh, you know, sort of flavor enhancer, a sweetener, but there is a, a little bit of sodium, uh, sodium chloride in there as well. You know, this beer doesn't really have a definition. Um, everyone's like, well, what style of beer it is? It's not really a style. I'd almost say that we've taken inspiration from a few different European styles of beer. Um, I'm thinking and, of Goza, and, like it almost yeah, like yes, yeah, so inspi- yeah. inspired by Goza without yeah, being a, a Goza. Inspired, you know, we're actually using a very a, quite a fruity yeast strain. Um, uh, we're also there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of orange peel in there, you know, just to really just play on the sort of uh, citrus notes that are in um, that you do get from lactobacillus, but all just remaining, you know, nice, refreshing. Um, there's just a dash of hops in there, about seven IBU of hops. You know, it's not crazy sour, but it's not what's not sour. It's not crazy bitter. Sorry, it's just very light, very approachable. And I took a growler of it home last night and uh, was like, yeah, and shared it with my my partner and just yeah, just didn't touch the sides, <laughs> didn't it, and just I- incredible refreshment, very approachable for. You know your average punters, I guess. Yeah, it it sounds very much like if we jumped back eleven years, it you, you could almost be talking in a different context about Pacific Ale, a beer that has drawn inspiration from um, some styles, but not being like them. You know, uh, you know, being a little bit different to what else is going on, but you know, still has had some inspiration from other styles. Yep, and that that is actually the way we've approached this beer. I think everyone during COVID times has looked to reevaluate, re- reassess what their brand portfolio, you know, there's a lot of cheaper price point beers being produced by brewers and all great beers. Um, and that's when, oh, look, we, we, we definitely explored that, but we really think that low alcohol beer actually has a much, uh, you know, it's a growth sector within the, within the beer market. Um, because there are lots of people that love lifestyle, they love full, you know, delicious, full flavored beers, but, you know, have responsibilities, want to drive, um, need to get up early to go, you know, go do something with the family or, you know, and not be uh, inhibited by alcohol consumption. You know, it's really playing that better for you space with beer, you know, beer being one of the most nutritious alcoholic beverages on the market, um, you know, just in a much lower alcohol form it's yeah it's a almost the ultimate the ultimate drink 
Which is interesting that you say that because <laughs> just when we were quickly chatting off mic for the listeners, um, I called it uh, light beer, which being someone who's 50 and saw the 80s when the first wave of mid-strength and light beers came through and they were targeted at the drink-driving laws um, which had changed and people were suddenly had to uh, be aware of not jumping in a car and driving. Um, Whereas the modern iteration of lower alcohol beer tends to be much more around like a, a positive consumer choice as opposed to almost a negative consumer choice of having to avoid something. They're going looking for this. Absolutely. We see it as a positive, you know, it, you know, people still like, like if you are driving or you want to, you know, but you still want to share a beer with your mates and you want to have something that uh, um just is absolute refreshment. Um, we we feel that this has got a, a great little example of it. Or you want to go surfing, or you, you know you need to go to work. You know you don't want to get uh, get in the way of any you know life. Really, it's just this is something that um, allows you to continue doing everything you want to do and uh, and do it safely. I guess in you know in much in moderation. And, and that is one of the big challenges that the brewing industry has always faced is it's unlike perhaps wine, which tends to be higher margins per bottle, beer is seen yep. as a little bit more of a commodity. And, uh, you know, as Chuck Hahn told me 20 years ago, it's a, you know, it's a volume game. You don't want people just having one because you can't keep a brewery open on one. Yeah. But then, you know, when you're sort of looking at some of the bigger beers that craft brewers have thrown forward, it's very hard not to just stop at one and it's probably not good yeah. for you yeah exactly yeah yeah for example our, our counterculture range is definitely something where we may not be promoting people having uh, too many of those yeah. <laughs> um i think the most recent one we launched the tequila queen was seven percent so you know you just the reality is you still drink it like it's a beer uh, because in your mind that's what it tastes like but that's a that's a big boozy beer uh, i definitely wouldn't recommend uh driving after something like that <laughs> but uh you know low alcohol you know coming in at 2.7 percent but still all the the flavor and refreshment that you get from a full strength beer really it's yeah that that's why it was fascinating to hear you describe you know uh, some of the things that weren't in the media release that weren't in some of the uh you know and being a stone and wood beer i know that there's always an interesting story behind it um but when you sort of hear some of the flavor addings um that are there that are to you know i, I guess replace some of the flavors that would be in a in a higher alcohol beer or at least sort of you know make sure that it's a rewarding um yeah yeah, beer. yeah 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 absolutely i hope there's uh, some beer headed your way i wish we could be uh, doing this while we're sharing one but, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, certainly yeah. come back and revisit it once we have had a chance to try it but uh ho- yeah. hopefully this will build you know a, a little bit of uh, excitement amongst our audience for to, to go out and check it and they, they're certainly very good at giving us feedback in it yeah, look, and we'd love to know the feedback. And this is, yeah, we really do this. See this as a, you know, a growth market, but also just a uh, a real sensible option, you know, for the for the alcohol industry. I think everyone's sort of, you know, you've got duty of care and all those sorts of things to keep in mind. But um, oh, yeah, I, I'm just I'm quite excited about uh, what this beer can do. Um, and we do see it as a little bit of a, um, you know, leading the way in a way like what Pacific Ale did. Um, you know, it's not, uh, there's, you know, slightly, slightly tart, zesty, tangy beers out in the market. Um, but we've, I think we've really found an opportunity to see this thing grow to the greater success of the, <laughs> the business and, and the, and the, I, I almost think the category as well of, uh, low alcohol beers. It's certainly low alcohol, but a lot of the noise and the attention has been around, you know, the less than, you know, 0.05 uh, or point, yeah, 0.5% um, percent ABV beers. Um, yeah. You know, almost, uh, you know, racing to see who can be the lowest alcohol now that we've had all of the other um, brewing industry arms races. Did you give any thought as a brewery to to, to enter that part of the market? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I I think that's a, a logical place to go. Um, it is actually a, it's a challenging one thing to get right. I think there's a re- lot of really good non-alcohol beers in the market. 
However, entries to do it, um, there's sometimes, there's I guess there's a couple of different ways of doing it. There's sort of arrested fermentations. Um, they, they require usually tunnel pasteurization to um, make sure that the, the, you know, the bottle or can that it's sitting in uh, is microbial stable <laughs> yep. because it may be a lot of fermentable sugars in there. Uh, there's membrane filtration, which is, you know, a really nice way of doing it, but uh, obviously uh, very specific and cost uh, prohibitive. And then um, there's some of the more, more old school ways of doing it, like vacuum distillation, uh, which is possibly, you know, really quite poor for beer quality. Uh, so there's a couple of different schools of thoughts about how to do it. I guess the last one is also limited to the budget of the brewery as well. Whereas... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so look, I, I think we're, look, we're, we're definitely looking at it. Uh, we, we don't do anything until we're, uh, I guess, if there's a capability perspective or, um, you know, it's kind of like we didn't put a canning line in until we, we found that the technology was there for us to maintain our sort of beer quality. So that's sort of like our ethos, you know, make the best possible beer we possibly can. So, But you guys have the ability to flash pasteurise at least. Correct. Yep, yep, we do. But it does not guarantee that, I guess, if you were doing an arrested fermentation, the fermented method of the yeast strains that do not ferment, like maltose and things like that, mm. does not mean that there could not be risks with re-fermentation impact, I guess. Yep. Um, I don't think there's a lot of aseptic fillers in Australia, particularly in the brewery <laughs> industry. So, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a risk. You know, I think the whole, uh, what we've seen over the last, even the last, you know, few six months or so, we've seen a, a number of beers being recalled for re-fermentation impact. Uh, uh, yeah, you, I don't think you go into that lightly, um, willingly knowing that there is fermentable sugars in a um, in a can or a bottle or a keg, uh, which obviously flash pasteurization cannot uh, reduce that impact. Okay, so well, there you go. Because I, I'd sort of looked at the two point seven, and I was wondering whether it was you weren't able to get a beer that had the flavour that you, you wanted uh, a stone wood name on, much more than uh, some of those other technical elements. Oh, look, I think we could, but uh, this beer was always destined for low alcohol. We weren't. Um, this beer was not being developed around a non-alcohol, um, the non-alcohol beer market. Which we do see is a, you know, it's a growing exponentially. You know, it's gone from nothing to something, uh, but it's coming from a, you know, it's coming from a very low base. Mm. But we see it as, um, oh, it's only going to keep growing, and the quality of beers is only going to continue getting better. And there is already some really nice quality beer out there, uh, and even brands that are just purely non-alcohol. Uh, at the moment, they've just sort of launched in the last little while. So, yeah, it's an exciting time for beer. Oh, it absolutely is. And, you know, like I was very interested because I, I've been hearing for probably 10 years um, brewers initially at the, uh, you know, sort of in, in the big breweries looking at overseas and looking at trends and, you know, forecasting that zero alcohol beers were going to become a, a thing. Um, and I've really struggled just watching it, wondering where the use case was. But as always, you're looking at it from your own perspective and not looking at the changing generations and that there is a new generation coming on that have a very different relationship with alcohol for a whole range of reasons. Um, that you know, lower alcohol does become much more a, a compelling marketing proposition for them. Yeah, absolutely. Alcohol consumption is down, I guess, nearly everywhere in the world. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a logical... Um, but I kind of agree. We, like we, we haven't been looking to trends for for the launch of this product. We're like, ah, what's what isn't being done? Uh, not what what someone else is doing in another part of the world. That's uh, sort of approached it very differently. But aren't you plugging into like haven't you sort of seen this move towards lower alcohol beer and then done something different within that space? Or are you saying that you're just creating something without any regard to that trend at all? Yeah, I know this. I don't think this is in that trend. Uh, I think it's it's similar, but it, we weren't going, we weren't playing in that that space or intending to play necessarily in that 
non-alcohol beer market. It was more, um, we sort of refer it to it as uh, the better for you space, health and well-being, uh, lifestyle um, type beers. One of the other, and, and uh, without sort of uh, taking away from discussion about East Point, but I contrast that with, you know, uh, again, looking at the media release, talking about better for you products, um, and you've got the development of no and low alcohol beverages, which this fits into, and then you've got including low calorie, sugar free, and gluten free options. And we recently saw Stoner would bring out the Sunley Seltzer, which sort of it taps into the same sort of overarching trend, but in a very different way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the, I guess who hasn't seen the growth of that market in the in the US? It's like you've obviously been under rock if you if you haven't seen that. So yeah, suddenly has oh yes, Seltzer um, has been uh, a crazy growth market um, that really does play in that better for you, very low sugar. Uh, I guess in, in the US they refer to as um, calories, but in Australia more like kilojoules, like very low, uh, low sugar content, lowish alcohol, make it very a lowish, I guess, calorie content, which is a similar vein, but obviously it's not. Well, suddenly we make like a beer, but uh, very different flavor profiles, yeah, different different demographic of drinker, I guess. Uh, but we, what we have found that uh, almost there is no demographic when as soon as people get it in their hand, they're like, that is crazy refreshing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, um, I remember people saying the same thing about West Coast Cooler, but you yeah. know, that, that's, you know, that, that's where it's quite, I, I find it, the, the whole seltzer thing quite interesting compared to beer. Even though it's made like a beer, it's marketed as a seltzer. Um, yeah. And I'm minded of, uh, um, Richard uh, Watkins talking about, you know, he wasn't looking at the seltzer category because he felt that you could still achieve some of those same ends within the beer market. You know, you know, lower alcohol, refreshing, crisp, um, non-beery, but yeah. which almost sounds like what West, what what East Point is. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's most definitely a beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it does. Yeah, I guess there, there is, there is some alignment there. Um, but I guess slightly different potential drinkers. But I think the reality is, you get, uh, you get it into anyone's hands. I think, uh, I think that's what the the proof is in the pudding. Just trying to get people to have a taste and explore. Not that we feel this is a challenging beer. It's actually, I think, uh, very approachable and I think it has quite mass appeal as the beer market and the craft brewing industry has matured, you know, you still hear brewers saying something like, oh, you know, it doesn't, it, it's not challenging, um, which is almost a legacy mindset to a time when craft beer had to be challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was almost the, the dif, uh, differentiation, really, between, I guess, big beer and indie beer, craft beer. Um, but the reality is, as brewers have become evolved you know as palettes have changed um you know i think there was back a time when i remember all i wanted to taste was the biggest and hoppiest beers out in the market which is a great place where you know fixation really plays into um but you know i also love when i have the opportunity to uh, in our tasting room in byron we've got a, a pilsner on and you know just drinking something ultra traditional german pills that's just nothing more remote, more rewarding than, than having something like that. So, yeah, it's kind of, I guess, brew, we have a, we're in a different side of it. You know, we're very close to the industry. Um, but your average punter, I guess, um, you know, may not be as exploratory as, or looking for the biggest or boldest. They, they just want, they just want something that simply tastes good. And and I guess you know that that's what I was getting at because the, the industry has moved on, and I credit uh, Stone and Wood with being, you know, they really zigged when the rest of the industry was zagging. Um, you know, every other brewery had really launched with a hoppy pale ale. Um, yeah, yeah, an American pale ale. I, that, that, I, yeah, I distinctly remember, you know, the success of Creatures Pale Ale and at just taking. Uh, Almost the country by storm. You know, there, I don't think there was a brewery that didn't have an American Pale Ale in it. 
uh, and now they're almost nearly non-existent. It's a style that's, yeah, or, or it's certainly morphed um, that we're yeah, almost Yeah, yeah, more. yeah. Less but, malt profile and just a lot more hot profile. And, uh, and even pale, that is in the pale. aroma as opposed to in the bitterness. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Which is where I guess Pacific Ale really, yeah, it was a completely left field approach to what was happening in the in the beer market back then. So is it 2008 we 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 launched? So I guess you know my, my question from that because again I, I put myself in the same category that you know um, I, I desperately wish you you would uh, you know package the house pills because it's uh, it's just one of my favourite beers that you guys make and I've even found myself. Uh, heading towards Green Coast Lager in, in my local bottle shop shelf uh, over Pacific Ale a little bit because, you know, I, I want that light, crisp, um, refreshing lager um, characters and almost treat myself with something that's a little bit more, you know, uh, hoppy pale ale as a very much an occasional beer. I find I do the same, actually. Like, uh, yeah, give a fresh batch of Green Coast on the, on the line and it's like, yeah, I'm not going anywhere else. And, and and I don't think we're um, unique in that, you know, certainly when I look at some of the, um, you know, my contemporaries in terms of beer writing in the US, you know, if you read um, professional beer writers, you would think that Pilsner was the, uh, the, the, the biggest category because that's what they're all drinking and that's what they're yeah. all celebrating the best of. But the market doesn't seem to be, you know, the, the no, market no, seems to it's... have gone two ways. Exactly. We, and we, we kind of have that, the Pilsner on as a, you know, it's like an education piece. You know, this this arguably was the inspiring, you know, the biggest beer, you know, lagers styles in, in the world. The, the the most amount of beer consumed in the world originated from these styles, and um, and the subtlety and nuances and the skill that goes into making those beers is excellent. Like Green Coast and the girls, ah, that's you know the epitome of just like perfection. Um, and are arguably the absolute hardest styles of beers to make. So I think when you do get something that is, um, that has those, you know, it can be subtleties, but, uh, but are just being balanced to perfection, that, that is, oh, who doesn't want to drink that? But yeah, I think the, your average punter isn't necessarily looking for that at the moment. Um, they love fruits and they might not be overly biggy, big and fruity sort of flavors, but, uh, you know, we still we still make a lot of Pacific Ale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Pacific Ale <laughs> is still in that sort of very approachable style. Yes, yeah. We pride ourselves on a you know sessionable and approachable uh, styles of beers in our main in our core range of beers, and then uh, obviously slightly different with our counterculture range. Yeah, yeah, but again, you know, is counterculture about staying relevant and contemporary and reaching that, you know, and certainly um, relevant to that pointy end craft beer consumer who wants to be entertained by their beer or wants to be challenged by their beer when most of the market is actually still in that, um, you know, the, the volume of the market, um, is it still in that we just want a beer that we can enjoy without having to think yeah, about it? Yeah, and not think about and just, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, uh, the reality is... Um, the vast majority of beer is the lower end of the spectrum, but there is a, a growing portion of the market that uh, does like to be challenged uh, and does like to uh, think about it and play with it. There's also a lot of brewers we have here that like to play. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, really it's an opportunity for us to uh, explore, challenge, have a bit of fun, uh, educate people about beer, educate people particularly about the the, flavor, the sheer variety of flavors uh, and aromas that you can get in beer um, and just have some fun with doing it with some, you know, epic branding and some great beers. Yeah. Funnily enough, that's something I hear a lot from head brewers and brewery owners is it's almost like we need to let the kids play around a little bit with, with, with some of these, uh, so some of the edgier um, beers that it's, you know, the younger brewers who want to sink their teeth into it as opposed to, you know, the accountants or the, you know, the, the, the business owners wanting, you know, seeing a huge future in some of them. Yeah. Like I guess back in the day, it was like, who wanted to make just a, a normal straight up American IPA? That was kind of like the... <laughs> the boldest and then it went into sort of barrel age beers and then it went into sours and now there's just a the next um 
evolution of it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's epic. The amount of experimentation and flavor that has been crea- created in beer in the last, you know, even in the last only a couple of years, it's just been uh, incredible. It's um, and a real treat to to be actually be able to see it unfold and then to be able to taste some of those beers. And that's like what we like to do with the counterculture range. Yeah, terrific. Now, before have, I let you go. Yeah, absolutely, and I can't wait to try uh, East Point. Um, I'm looking forward to yes. it. Yes, I I hope you give us a call when you get some, and we can actually uh, have a taste in uh, over the phone or something. So we, <laughs> we'll be, I believe we'll be sending beer out as soon as possible. Well, uh, this week. Hopefully, uh, the borders will uh, be down so I can get down to northern New South Wales and check it. But uh, is there anything else interesting under development or anything that, that you know, you're sort of uh, looking ahead to in the future? Oh, look, we, I, I think the thing is with us, we're always looking. Uh, there's always something in development. There's always something being trialled. Um, there's nothing on the horizon right now in terms of launch, but uh, we're always playing, uh, whether it's in you know, just simply trying to be better at what we do from day to day or um, what could be next for us. Um, the reality is, yeah, this this is a pretty big launch for us. Um, definitely one of the more challenging beers to make and make consistently um, when you're playing in the subtle end of the acidification from lactobacillus uh, and then balancing all the nuances from, you know, a little bit of salt, a little bit of, uh, nice little citrus notes from a little bit of orange peel and things like that. It's yeah, this is going to keep us busy for a little while. Um, uh, the next thing is really uh, we've got launch, um, you know, and all the the processes that we've developed to make this beer. I, I could guarantee it is not <laughs> simple or straightforward, <laughs> uh, but that is that's fun and that's a challenge. Every I think every brewer loves a, a challenge like this, trying to. Um, not just come up with a concept, but then uh, execute it and in repetition, which is what good quality beers all about. Trying to make something consistently with uh, seasonal inconsistencies. And as you know, one of the largest independent brewers, is that increasingly hard for you to launch a main like? a core range product um, than it was when it was just a couple of tanks down in Byron. Now that you've oh, got... Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely it is. And even just for us to launch another core range, like I don't think we have actually launched a true core, additional core range product almost since oh, Cloudcatcher, I think, from memory. That, that'd, be, that'd be about right. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a big chain. Obviously, we've launched other beers, Gatherer, and the Counterculture Range, and things like that. But um, they're not that you know, Gatherer um, doesn't exactly sit in our core range. Um, so, yeah, this it's a pretty exciting, um, yeah, exciting time for beer and exciting time for uh, for our punters to be actually be able to uh, get their hands on some, uh, and very soon, I think. From in our tasting rooms, I think this week, maybe the end of this week, or if not early next week, and then I think nationally, the end of um, oh, what am I trying to think? Early early October, um, it should be available national. I think so. the eighth, uh, the media release said so. Yeah, just, yeah. I have a habit of doing this, of saying just one more thing. But uh, you, you teased it with um, the the lineup in cans, which was Jasper, Pacific Ale, Gather, and Garden Ale, and now um, we have got East Point. But will we see uh, Green Coast and Cloudcatcher hitting cans, or are they? Oh, look, potentially, mate. That's definitely one of those sort of things. Like the the reality, like, and I think like. In the beer industry, we, we kind of see, oh, everything's in cans. The reality, most beer in Australia is actually consumed in a, uh, a bottle, and I think most of it's in a 375ml bottle. Um, however, yeah, look, the reality is, yeah, we'd definitely consider it. Um, uh, but most of our beer is sold in, in those bottles and that sort of format. When we put Pacific out, we kind of didn't know what we'd expect. Um, it's growing and growing well, uh, but the reality is having multiple formats is not, I think, an ideal situation. Um, but I, I think uh, maybe eventually it might all go there. It might only stay in bottle. Like I'm, 
I actually don't have the full answer for that, but <laughs> definitely all those sorts of things have been uh, been explored. Um, our can, I, I love our can filler. It has, uh, you know, the quality of beer that comes out of that's uh, incredible. Um, then the branding of, <laughs> of our cans, I think, looks fantastic. So, yeah. That's interesting because, uh, again, um, I resisted, you know, um, cans for such a long time because I, I still think glass is better, you know, assuming you're not going to uh, drink, you know, assuming it, the times that you drink out of the package as opposed to decant it into a glass, yep. I'd much rather drink out of a bottle. But yeah, then also yeah. uh, so many of the situations, if it's being served in front of you, there's just something incredibly inelegant about pouring from a can in a restaurant, for example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess the reality is cans did have a, a negative connotation to them from a number of years ago. But the reality is, uh, you know, we make fantastic beer quality in both can and bottle. Mm. Uh, the technology of cans has evolved uh, to be as comparable. I think traditionally bottled beer would almost, you'd argue, from an O2 perspective, oxygen pickup perspective, bottles... Um, may have been better, but I think the technology is almost very comparable these days. But retailers have a distinct preference for cans. Yeah, yeah, I guess it depends on the retailer, but yeah, uh, it is a growing. I think it has been a more consumer-driven thing in the US. Uh, in Australia, I still think it's very brewer-driven. Um, however, there is a growing increase uh, for preference to to can uh but i i don't think it's like it's the be all and end all in terms of formats but uh, uh i think there's a growing preference uh and seeing i'm not sure if you saw that little teaser i think you may have on the pandanus plant yep and yeah, i'm looking tree. at it now <laughs> it looked uh it, wow what a what a shot <laughs> um, it, i'm wondering how much awesome. glue was involved in uh keeping them balanced yeah, I'm a, I bet I know who did that. I don't <laughs> know the answer, but it looked it was pretty awesome just just seeing that and uh, seeing the blue of East Point just pop. Um, looked pretty awesome. Terrific. Well, Keelan Vaughan, thank you very much for joining us to talk about the new East Point and uh, uh, about the industry generally. And uh, looking forward to getting down to the brewery and uh, having a beer with you very soon. Yeah, mate, pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much for the time. And uh, yeah, please, if anyone can give us some feedback, we'd love to know what. Uh, what you think, including yourself, Matt, um, when you do get your hands onto it, it will be available very, very shortly. I was uh, excited beforehand, but now that I know a little bit more about it, I'm very excited to see uh, to see what you've come up with. Great. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for, uh, for allowing me to talk today, buddy. And that was Keelan Vaughan. Check out the new East Point when it's released around about the 8th of October and let us know what you think and you'll certainly hear us talk about it on an upcoming show. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of this conversation and the Radio Brews News channel. <laughs>